slip down. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Center Ed Teaching. Thanks for joining again this joining us again this week. You know, last week we talked into the differences between bilingual and bicultural education and how as teachers we can think about navigating those spaces for our students who may be coming to English coming to English as a second language, um, or even students who normally speak English and are learning a foreign language in their classroom. Um, today, we've got kind of a non-traditional podcast, and I'm really excited about that. We're going to talk about non-traditional learning spaces and the ways that we can think about those spaces, both in and outside of our classrooms, and how they can affect our practices as teachers. So coming back after, I don't know, like a three or four week yeah. hiatus, at least, is Faith. Where did I go? <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> and joining us for the first time is Adele, and she does this really cool project, Literacy Unbound, that we're going to talk about later in the podcast, but welcome, Adele. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, so the first thing that we want to talk about are kind of, what do we mean when we're talking about non-traditional learning spaces, and what kind of learning happens in these non-traditional spaces? Um, I know the first thing that comes to mind for me is a project that I'm, I'm working on here at uh, Teachers College with... Um, it's actually Erica Kitzmiller's project, and it's working in museums. And so um, in this project, uh, it's first-year teachers and then um, teachers that will be teachers soon that are um, going to museums, meeting with um, museum field experts who are showing them um, the ways that they can use museums to um, facilitate learning with their students. And it's really... Um, inspiring to go there and uh, to see the kind of uh, artifacts that you can look at, the documents that you can see, and then to imagine how can this space be used by, um, by teachers, by classes that can come into the space, and then even going further if there are like um, impediments to them actually getting to the museum for some reason, mm -hmm. um, how can it still be used because technology allows us to be able to pipe that right in. And um, what I'm amazed at, just like with uh, librarians, um, the field experts are just like, please, please, yes, come in. Like, I have so much to share, mm -hmm. you know, and that that it, it's work, it works for both, both people. So I think that's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, I actually do an after-school program, uh, something similar called Youth Historians, where we are working um, within the school, but also without outside the school, uh, we do a lot of research at the Schomburg because the students are studying the educational history mm -hmm. of Harlem. And what's been fascinating is that students are really taking ownership of their own learning. They came up with their own historical questions, and then now they're saying, okay, what resources do I need to find? And so instead of a teacher saying, here's this political cartoon that everyone studies that you need to know mm -hmm. because it's really helpful for the regions, students are probing questions that are interesting to them. For instance, one student is become really fascinated with 1960s yearbooks and the poetry that's written in them with students in Harlem who are coming to terms with their racial identity oh. during the civil rights mm -hmm. movement and how she sees themes mirrored in her own poetry mm -hmm. and thinking about that relationship and that's something that's created in this non-traditional space with that extended time to examine that. But furthermore, we also explore Harlem um, as a physical space and what mm -hmm. that means. Mm -hmm. And so last summer, this, these students designed a walking tour where mm -hmm. they took um, visitors to Teachers College on these different 
buildings and institutions within Harlem and explaining that history, something that they were able to generate themselves, which doesn't totally exist within the confines of the classroom. This is making me think about the, the idea that these non-traditional spaces can be really resource-rich mm. and that what we're really encouraging students to do is read these spaces as text mm. in right. some way. Yeah. Um, and I think that any space has resources that can be mined mm -hmm. in, mm. in that way. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting, though, when I think about non-traditional spaces, I first go to theatrical spaces because that's my background. Um, and often the theatrical space is the empty space, mm. um, which is, you know, of course, what fa what uh, Peter Brook famously called it. Um, For those of us that aren't Peter Brook yes. experts, can you elaborate <laughs> right. on the empty space? Well, what, what Peter Brook said is that any empty space can be a theatrical space, that all mm -hmm. that is needed is for someone to walk across the space and someone else to be watching. Mm. Um, and so when I think of non-traditional spaces, I am always thinking about what spaces have the potential to be theatrical spaces. And actually, classrooms have the potential to be theatrical spaces uh, with a little bit of rearrangement. Right. Um, and so what, what I'm interested in is how we can help students begin to reconceptualize the spaces that they are familiar with mm -hmm. um, in new ways and start to see the potential for in my case, theater, to happen mm -hmm. in these mm -hmm. new spaces. Um, well, so, I mean, I like what you're saying here because I think it's adding a level of nuance or texture to what Faith and I were talking about because the non-traditional spaces that we were talking about in some ways were very much removed from the school yeah, and was right. a, a different type of learning space. And what you're talking about is repurposing space. So can you maybe give an example of like when this was done and what that looked like to give an idea of what this non-traditional space and I guess what we are calling the school as a traditional space looked mm -hmm. like. Sure. Um, so it's funny actually that we're even thinking about theatrical spaces as non-traditional spaces because often what a theater um, writ large looks like in a school is very traditional. Mm. So it's very much an auditorium with mm -hmm. a proscenium um, and in my case, when I was teaching in public school, it was with wooden seats. <laughs> um, and so when, when I was teaching in that public school, I was running a theater company and we just felt too limited by that traditional theatrical space. And so we were doing, um, Mary, Mary Zimmerman's Metamorphoses, um, which of course is at its heart about change and transformation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we were looking around the school for another space that would give us more flexibility. And what we happened upon was we were looking out the window one day and there was this inner courtyard um, that all of the, the whole building looked down upon. And we'd never really noticed it before. And we looked in there and there were some plants struggling to grow mm -hmm. uh, because they were surrounded by the garbage mm -hmm. of the school because the custodians were using that as sort of a dumping ground. Mm -hmm. um, and we looked at it and we said, this would be a perfect place for us to build a stage. Mm -hmm. um, and so we talked to the custodians, they were able to get all of that stuff out of there. And for a couple of weeks, uh, that space was repurposed mm. um, with some Christmas lights. Mm. Uh, but we also brought in actual theatrical lighting and mm -hmm. sound and rented chairs um, and created this theater space right there um, and hoped for no rain. 
Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or maybe hoped for it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there was a central pool, so that would only <laughs> add to the pool. Um, but what I found really exciting about that was just the idea that students would now, students who had been involved or students who had come to see the show, would now walk past that courtyard every day in the course of their their way to class mm-hmm. and look at it differently. Um, it was a space that before had been really ignored. Um, and my hope was that in seeing that space in a new way, they could start to see other places in the school mm-hmm. in new ways and with new potential. Um, it really makes me think about like um, extending that. If we think about like the school as this location and space where, you know, I'm, I'm going there Monday through Friday, right? Um, also, there's like my path to the school. So walking, getting on the train, getting on a bus, riding my bike, how, whatever way. But that that's my space along the way. And so I just think about transforming even those outside spaces. So whether it's taking a walk around the school together or even talking through like um when I think about like a walking tour to your home Mm -hmm. and maybe observing along the way like where do they notice like you noticed the garbage is out there maybe Mm -hmm. nobody had looked noticed it that that Mm -hmm. much before so what are they noticing on their way and on their way home on their way on their way back into the school and I think that would be fascinating to think about um how to um, help students uh, like to facilitate their learning in their own spaces in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm hearing you say that part of the reason, like we're even doing this podcast, why these experiences are so important for students is it creates this idea that learning can be transferred to different spaces, that mm-hmm. it doesn't exist in a desk within a room that's right. in rows, or maybe right. if someone's experimental in groups, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there are these different things in their day-to-day lives mm-hmm. that add to this, and I guess I just want to build on that, and also say that I think thinking about non-traditional learning spaces or environments, by, or maybe better to say instead of non-traditional, non-school, is just the mm-hmm. access to the world and possible opportunities. I mean, I, I always think about when I was growing up as a kid. My idea was if you were a job, you were a doctor, a lawyer, mm-hmm. a teacher, or in business. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah. Because I, I like there wasn't this exposure to a wider world where like if you're going to the museum, you see that people have a job. Or if you're paying attention on your walk home, you see maybe a cultural center that someone's working at that has a job. Or you see the barbershop where someone's working. And so it's just this broadening of like what life can hold. I don't know if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll often talk about, like, in my high school, it was, for the most part, and this had to really do with, like, socioeconomic, Mm. like, reasons, but it was for the rural school, um, for the most part, it was go into the military um, or get married. Mm. Very, very few people... They would go to college, but they had, like, we as we consider, like, oh, they have a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just think about um, the, the educators that helped us see outside of those choices, because that's all I would have known. I mm-hmm. mean, and I even had, like, um, my dad was in the Air Force, so I would see it as, like, probably going into the military, or my mom was a civil servant, so uh, being a secretary at the base, mm-hmm. right? And then if I'm not opened up beyond that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I guess I could say um, I could be a teacher, mm-hmm. which I which I was like, oh, I want to be a teacher. That's great. <laughs> right, I had that model. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 
the idea that it could really be opened up. People do this for a job, like, mm-hmm. and then even making those connections to how, like, and this is what I was interested in. So I started studying about these things, you know. And I think your example that you started off with in terms of the museum employees is mm-hmm. such a powerful one because I think in addition to not really understanding the expansive options mm-hmm. um, in terms of possible jobs, I think when I was in high school, at least, I didn't really think about jobs um, and job sites as places of learning mm-hmm. where right. you continue to learn and yeah. grow and meeting people within those jobs who are actually fellow learners alongside mm-hmm. me, right? Because when, when you go to the museum and you work with a museum educator, you're seeing that that mm-hmm. educator is also continuing to grow and continuing to research Mm -hmm. um and that that process is endless Mm -hmm. it doesn't stop when you graduate from school that's right yeah that's right by any means Mm -hmm. yeah which is i mean i think as teachers we often aspire for lifelong learners and so maybe that needs an expansion of the definition of learning and where it can happen and so i think keeping that frame and keeping some of the principles and maybe some of the practices from these non-traditional or non-school learning spaces is how do we re-envision spaces in schools or what principles or practices from outside the classroom can come into the classroom or maybe better into the school to promote these different kinds of learning and help in the development of students? I think one, um, one approach that a lot of schools are playing with now is just the idea of repurposing places in their school um, as spaces of flexible learning. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you say what you mean by flexible learning? So, I mean, um, first of all, just the idea of more open space. So, removing the kinds of traditional desks from the space and giving more options. I think at the heart of this idea of non-traditional learning environment is the idea of choice. Mm. Um, so, I think in deliberately... Um, creating an environment for non-traditional learning to happen, um, you have to be very careful about how you build in that flexibility. Mm. So, I mean, a a very trite example, I guess, would be like, are you going to have beanbag chairs? Mm. Are you going to have tall tables? Are you going to have low tables? Um, Where might be spaces for collaboration to happen? Where might be spaces for individual learning to happen. Um, But I think at the heart of this too, which makes it more complex, is that you can't anticipate exactly how a space is going to be used. So you sort of have to um, curate an environment of possibility Mm -hmm. and then see what happens, see what people make of it. Um, As you're saying this, and this probably isn't like a fair analogy and it's probably ridiculous, but I'm thinking about, you know, Oftentimes we hear that education needs to like follow the model of the corporate world. And mm. you have so many corporations now who are moving to the open office or yeah. the experimental designer mm-hmm. Google who has like the sleep chairs and right. stuff like this. <laughs> right, and right, so right. it's like we're gonna we're gonna take classroom. everything from corporate America except that. And right. like yeah, I hear what you're pushing yeah. is like, you know, part of this learning is not just like what's taught, what's the content, but what's the space that it happens in and what possibilities are possible possible (laughs) in that space right well and i mean um it makes me think about within you're you're talking about like maybe how we're moving 
uh, furniture around in the space or how, and then I just think about students exploring the space. For instance, is it an option to say, um, okay, for this next part, uh, it's like quiet work, right? Is it an option to say, go anywhere in the room? Is there anywhere else to go in the room? Right. And can they really go anywhere in the room? Can they sit in the back on the floor? Can they, and then you think about all kinds of things like, oh, is it clean enough? Can we, so you have to think about that space. Um, but, uh, even a choice such as that could be, I mean, that's a choice for learning as well. Like I would learn better if I didn't look at, look at people, I'm going to turn around like Mm -hmm. that, that will work better for me. Yeah. I think you guys are talking a lot about space and I think that is definitely part of the learning. But one thing that's coming to me is kind of the experience, Mm -hmm. um, of a museum or of a play, right? So if I go to see a production of, of mice and men, I'm not having the experience of being told about, like, the the painting of the setting in the beginning. I, I'm experiencing this, and I'm thinking about it in my own way. And maybe when I see Curly's wife, I have mixed reactions, and I don't have a response. I just have questions, and I want to ask those questions. And so we can say it's like an inquiry-based style, but I would argue it's often how we approach things in the world that mm-hmm. we live in. We come to something through experience that we don't know and work through it, and I think... What a part of like the non-traditional learning space is that that is more likely to happen. I, I don't know if that makes sense or not. It definitely makes sense. I'm, I'm just thinking too about all of the issues intrinsic in what you're saying in terms of um, the planning on the teacher's part, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? And in terms of letting go of some control because mm. it also shifts the teacher's job in a way, right? Because yeah. In these more non-traditional spaces, you're really, um, as a teacher, trying to figure out how you can lay out inspiration mm-hmm. and then have students run with that uh, yeah. um, and not be as controlling over the pace with which they run right. um, and also maybe not dictate as much what the product of that looks mm-hmm. like, um, but helping them to shape those products along the way and encouraging their inquiry journeys mm-hmm. along the way, which mm-hmm. I think is really complicated. Um, because, again, because this is predicated on choice, it means that a lot of students are going to be doing different projects mm-hmm. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Even if it's under the umbrella of a single project, mm-hmm. they're going to be coming at it in very different ways because they have these resources open to them. That's right. Um so yeah, it becomes complicated. Oh, I mean, I guess then thinking about some of these issues, which are constantly <laughs> issues for teachers, mm-hmm. I mean, how do you put timelines then on these types of learnings in these spaces? Or I guess maybe the more pressing question for me is how do you build scaffolds mm-hmm. so that students mm-hmm. can have these experiences and have them be something that I don't want to say they learn from because I think no matter what, there's some type of learning that happens but a learning that probes whatever it is that they're experiencing or ever in this space with depth. I mean, I think what you said, Adele, is important around like the shift, the shift that it may make for the teacher, right? So the teacher, it seems like, might become more of a learner about the students mm-hmm. um, than necessarily about each individual, like all that information. Students can get information now pretty easily. Like mm-hmm. it's a matter of sifting through that information and and um, determining like you know what they might want to use in their project. But I just think about um, that that shift of a teacher as guiding them mm-hmm. and um, interacting. And again, like learning the student even more, I think that, which is kind of really a, 
a fascinating thing for the teacher to be able to model as well that they're also learning along the way. They don't have to know every single thing that the student is going is going to be like exposed to, but um, understanding how to guide them in in their own learning. You know, I think another thing that comes up that came up um, this past summer. So in the program that I work with, um, we were. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I think yeah. it would be helpful actually for the audience to hear sure. more about it, what mm-hmm. it looks like, because I think this is actually an excellent example okay. of kind of what mm-hmm. we're talking about here. So I work with a program called Literacy Unbound, and it's a two-week professional development program every summer, and we bring together equal numbers of teachers and students, um, so usually 12 teachers, 12 high school students, and they work alongside one another over the course of those two weeks to develop an original multimodal production out of uh, a shared text. So last summer, for instance, we looked at Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness and we created a performance piece out of our exploration. Um, And last year was unusual because for the first time we were working in a very deliberately non-traditional space Mm -hmm. at Teachers College called the Learning Theater. Um, and the learning theater is exactly what we were talking about before in terms of a space set up for flexibility. So there, almost everything in the space is on wheels, so it can be easily moved around. It's a huge open space. Um, there's lots of technology to play with. And one of my biggest takeaways from my experience there last summer is that one of the things that a teacher needs to do in planning instruction for a space like that is to build in moments where you are actively helping participants learn about the space. Mm -hmm. Because what we found was that at the beginning, participants would really stick to one area of the room. It was almost like they were scared to Mm -hmm. spread out and expand. Um, And so we had to build into our pedagogy moments where we would go to different areas of the room Mm -hmm. and test out different resources in the room just to introduce what was possible. And Mm -hmm. then when we had those moments where they were working on their own, then they knew that those resources were available. Um, But as teachers, we had our planning was planning how to introduce those resources progressively. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But also watching when there were those times of open creation to see what they would naturally do and Mm -hmm. where they would naturally gravitate um, and how we could push them to explore even further or if someone was doing something that we hadn't expected how we could highlight that for the rest of the participants um, to show them even more potential in the space so I have so many follow-up questions (laughs) but because obviously this is happening again this summer I don't want to make you spill all your secrets so we do have a link in the show notes for people who are interested in Uh signing up so maybe just a brief description what's going on this summer in case people want to join well this summer is particularly interested in interesting in terms of the topic of this podcast because we are focusing on upton sinclair's the jungle Mm. um and we are partnering with the new york historical society so we're all in addition to being in learning theater we're also going to spend some time in a museum Mm. Mm. um, and likely more than one museum um, in working to build the world of Mm. the jungle together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting because it will really be a melding of many non-traditional spaces yeah and 
I mean, the jungle is also just a phenomenal text. Yes. So, <laughs> so if you are interested, please, to make sure, visit the show notes mm-hmm. and sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think your example really highlighted the kind of ways that teachers can think about scaffolding, both in terms of the space, in terms of the text, and also that openness for creativity. And so I think that gives a good guide to thinking about how to transfer principles and practices to the classroom in a practical sense. And maybe this is a bad question to ask. Does it always make sense to try to revolutionize the classroom into these non-traditional spaces and non-traditional learning? Is that something that teachers should strive for? Or is this something that happens in moderation or changes over time and starts small? Because I'm just thinking of myself as a teacher, I would often try to create unique learning opportunities. But one, on a practical level, the amount of planning Mm. that it took, it was hard to make every lesson or... um, every single week for something that was more expansive to happen. So I don't know, don't get mad at me for asking that question, (laughs) but I'm going to ask it. No, that's good. I think it's uh, similar to the question that you were putting forth earlier about like, how do we scaffold and are there, we do have things like time limits. We do have things like um, evaluation. So you're thinking about like that, uh, what you're saying about time that it's going to require a different rubric, for instance, Mm. if we're going to do this open space and exploration, right? Um, I mean, when you ask the question, then I kind of get practical and I go, okay, well, practically speaking, then maybe it's, um, it's an option and Mm. maybe it's an option you want to try this year. Maybe it's an option you want to try in the next month or in however long it's going to take for you to do your own planning, but, um, an option to say, to take a small thing, like, can they explore the space in the room? Do they even know what the space in the room is or is not, you Mm. know, um, and, and then building it in, what kind of experience do you have and what does it open up? And then maybe you want to try more and continue to grow that area. Because in the end, I'm not practical. And I'm like, yes, open it up. It's, you got to open it all up. They've got to get outside of the classroom. They've got to change within the classroom. So, But you can start with something small. I definitely agree with starting small. But I also think about how important it is to be deliberate in terms mm-hmm. of when you decide to use this kind of space and why you're deciding to use this kind of space. Mm -hmm. Not only in terms of the content, but also in terms of what you're noticing in your students. Because I think that um, doing this kind of learning should also be about being responsive. Mm -hmm. So you're doing this because you're noticing that something about what is happening in the traditional classroom is not working Mm -hmm. for maybe not all of the students, but maybe for some of the students Mm -hmm. it's not working. And I think that brings up um, a critical point, too, which is that some students are going to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in these new kinds of spaces. Um, And I always think sometimes you're shocked by the students that are most comfortable and that are most uncomfortable. Exactly, exactly. But also I think it's an important conversation for teachers to have among one another about whether that means that you shouldn't then do it. Mm-hmm. Right? right, because the reality is that there are students who are uncomfortable in traditional spaces, mm-hmm. and we still have yeah. traditional yeah. spaces. Yeah. So I think there can be productive discomfort mm-hmm. as well. I like that. Um, mm-hmm. And trademark. That. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and I think we just have to decide when the discomfort is truly productive and when it's an impediment. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think this has been a large discussion we've covered a lot of topics and you guys have done it with greater efficiency 
then. I, I am, okay. <laughs> um, but so, I mean, there obviously is still so much more to probe in terms of non-traditional learning spaces and how we can think about those in our classroom spaces within the school spaces, even if it's not in the classroom. And so Mm -hmm. are there final thoughts, maybe recommendations or pushes for someone who's listening to this and says, you know what, like, I really, really love um, going to plays or I really, really love like recording music in my Mm -hmm. like own studio. And I want to create these new experiences for my Mm -hmm. students that mirror that because those are the things that like I think people could enjoy and could learn more from what would be recommendations ideas thoughts that you might have I think you are giving a recommendation (laughs) right there which I completely agree with which is for for teachers to sort of look inward and think about where in their own lives they experience these sites of learning Mm -hmm. um, and then how they can recreate those sites of learning for their students Mm-hmm. And that might be, I'm thinking when you're talking about a recording studio, right? Mm-hmm. That might be actually going to a recording studio, mm-hmm. or it might be repurposing some space within the school and creating a recording studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's about being mindful of where we continue to learn as adults mm-hmm. and how we can bring those spaces of learning to students to show them that the learning continues. Um I actually do have a quote, that, so I'll steal it. It's not mine. But just yesterday, someone said um, in a meeting I was in that they had heard this uh, quote about that says, there's no such thing as teaching, only learning. Mm. Which we all went, did that. We went, mm. Mm. And then I was like, where is that quote? And so I was quickly looking it up. And there's a, a little additional um, information about it. Um, it's a woman named Sister Agnes um, Patricia, or Pat- Patricia maybe. And um, the article that I found said she believed no teacher could ever teach anyone anything. Her task as a teacher was to create an environment in which students can learn. Mm. And I think that's what we're talking about is yeah. these environments and maybe the environment is working at one point and maybe we need to change it at another. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so interesting the way you put that because with teaching, and there's so much emphasis on content and mm-hmm. standards and how do you interweave these two, but stepping back and saying, how do I cultivate an environment where these ex- learning experiences can happen and, and where mm-hmm. is it open? And I think that's a different level of planning that we don't yeah. really talk about, but is essential to, I, I think, our hopes and our aims for our students. So. I don't know, I guess maybe stepping back one more level. I don't know if that's quite meta yet, but <laughs> right, put a step right, back on the right. reflection. Yes, yes. Um, but I think it's also pointing to the fact that it's not always in the teacher's control right. um, and that this is a conversation that needs to take place on the level of administration mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also maybe even on the level of policy mm-hmm. um, in terms of a shift in values as a culture mm-hmm. um, and really encouraging teachers to um, find these new spaces and create these new spaces. Mm-hmm. And they, they need the space themselves yeah. to do that. Yeah, that's right. Well, another hope for another policy pod, I think, is on the <laughs> That's right. Always back to the policy yeah. pod. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys, and we'll make sure to talk in a microphone so you can hear it next week. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye. 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 Bye.